My so-called parents hate my boyfriend, Shrimp. I'm not sure they even believe he is my boyfriend. They take one look at his 5'5", surfer shirt-wearing, baggy jeans slouching, pop-tart-eating, spiked hair-head self, and you can just see confusion firebombs exploding in their heads. Like they are thinking, oh no, Sid Charisse, that young man is not your home. Dig this. He is. That is the opening paragraph of Rachel Cohn's 2002 YA novel, Gingerbread. And aren't you already obsessed with narrator Sid Charisse? Her voice couldn't possibly be more fresh, unique, or distinct, which is the first of many things to love about this book. Gingerbread is a romp through fancy New England boarding schools, the funky surfer community of San Francisco, and the bigger-than-life streets of New York City. It's a story of the families we idealize and the families we choose, of the relationships we say goodbye to and the relationships we prioritize. It's a story of hard decisions and that part of high school where there is still so much left to figure out about who you are. Before we get too far into the episode, I would like to note a trigger warning. When we meet Sid Charisse in Gingerbread, she is, spoiler alert, navigating the aftermath of a relatively recent abortion, and my guest and I speak fairly extensively about how this emotional journey plays out for her. Please be aware that this is coming if this is a sensitive subject for you. My guest and I also talk about the book's magical sense of place, its effortless diversity, its depiction of blended families, stepfamilies, bad boyfriends, and so much more. Today's guest is Christina Forrest. Christina loves to dance and thought one day she'd be a choreographer but then she decided she loved writing more. Christina earned her MFA in creative writing with a concentration in writing for children at the New School and now works in children's book publishing. She lives in Brooklyn, New York with two huge bookshelves. I Want to Be Where You Are is her first novel and it's now available wherever books are sold. I'd like to say a big thank you to Christina for taking the time to read and discuss Gingerbread with me. As always, I'd also like to say a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting SSR. If you'd like to continue to share the love for the podcast, I'd encourage you to leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. These are actually really important to the long-term growth of the show, so seriously, if you're a big fan of SSR and haven't left one yet, please, please consider it. I promise it only takes a few seconds. Fans of the show can also show their support by shopping our cute little merch line at www.ssrpodcast.com shop or by joining our community on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that allows you to contribute just a few dollars per month to the production of SSR in exchange for awards like bonus episodes, free shipping on merch, newsletters, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast for more details. Shout out to all the patrons tuning into episode 69 now. Don't forget to join the conversation on social media. If you're not following us yet, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod and by searching the SSR Podcast on Facebook. Please do share the episodes you're loving by tagging screenshots of them in your Instagram stories. It's a fantastic way to spread the word. Personally, I feel so lucky to have the chance to spread the word about Libro FM. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time, especially because I'm about to give you an awesome discount code. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. When I shop for audiobooks on Libro.fm, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic. But you can choose any story you want. Enjoy! Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. 
We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Christina. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you for having me. We're chatting on like the first day of what feels like it might be real fall, maybe even winter here in New York. Yeah, it got it was like 90 degrees yesterday. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. I was very confused this morning because we had like the air conditioning cranking last night because like you said, it was summer when I went to bed and then I woke up yeah. this morning and I was like, why am I so cold? But it does feel like we're really getting into like cozy fall reading season and I'm very excited yeah. about that. Me too. Me too. I stayed up actually until like 2 a.m. last night reading a romance novel and it started to rain a little bit. I was like, this is perfect. But then I went to work today and I was like dead. So For a minute you're like, we have arrived. I'm living my best life. Can it just be like this forever? And then it was over. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But luckily we have a fun talk to have tonight. We are chatting all about Gingerbread, which is a 2002 YA novel written by Rachel Cohn. I'm not quite sure how to I think it's it. Cone. Okay, great. Yeah, I think it's Cone, yeah. Good. I'm kind of on track there. And I'm really glad that you remembered this book because I did not. And I'll share more about why I forgot that I read it after, mm-hmm. you know, I really want to hear first of all, like why you picked this book. Because as I said, you were the one who reminded me of it. And you mentioned yeah. that it was really formative for you and that you loved it. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about why you suggested it. Yeah. So I was in high school when I discovered this and I can't remember if I, I think I might've been a sophomore. It might've been the summer before my junior year. I was an early user of Goodreads. And I was obsessed with Sarah Dessen, and I was just like, give me anything contemporary similar. And so, you know, they still had sort of like the, if you read this, you'd like this. And I saw actually Shrimp first by Rachel Cohn. So she has the series, Gingerbread Shrimp and then Cupcake. And so I got Shrimp from the library, and I read that first, which is so weird because it's literally in the middle of this series. But I guess she sort of wrote it in a way that you didn't have to to know Sid Charisse very well or shrimp to get into the story but I did feel a little bit like I was missing something but I just kept going anyway and then I was like oh gingerbread is actually the first book so I went back and read gingerbread and then I read cupcake so I read them all out of order (laughs) but I just remember well from a young age I always wanted to live in New York I was like obsessed with the idea of living in New York and I also really wanted to live in San Francisco ever since I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. Yep. And also Princess Diaries. And Princess Diaries. Yep. With Mia and the scooter. Same. I had the same experience with Princess Diaries and Full House a little bit. We never went to San, we never like went out in the world on Full House. It was just in the house really. But like the hills and like the, the different colored houses, like I thought it was just so cool. And Gingerbread, the Gingerbread series takes place in both of those cities. And I just really remember loving the voice because it's first person, but Sid Charisse is so voicey. It's just like the way that she talks and like her weird use of slang that even I wasn't using at the time. But I was like, this is very like particular to her. And I think 
when reading it now, I realized how effortlessly diverse it was. And I think as a teen, like I wasn't necessarily paying attention to that because I was just used to books mostly being about white people. Um, and you know, Citrice is white, or at least she's not described as being otherwise. I'd never read a book about a goth girl either. Yeah. And it was just like so many new things for me. And like the love interest name was Shrimp, but you find out later on that's not his real name but I just thought it was so cool and it handled a lot of heavy topics and a very um not necessarily humorous but like accessible way for me at 16 I was able to conceptualize and it felt really realistic to me um and like the relationship with her mom and her stepdad and her real dad I just I just really loved it and so I actually reread the whole series like maybe three years ago. And so when you'd asked, I was like, well, I can't do a Sarah Dessen because I feel like I just read those all the time. And so I'm not separate from the experience I had reading it as a teenager. But it had been a while since I'd read this series. So I felt like that was a good choice. And it's short, too. So I like flew through it. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm reading a lot of really long books for the podcast right now. So appreciate yeah. that. Um, okay, I echo so much of what you just said. I feel like we're going to have such a good conversation. Yeah. My experience with reading this book is I think I read it fairly late in high school. As I mentioned, this is not a book that has been like top of mind for me. And I think a lot of it was the cover. Like when you said the title, I think we were emailing about it and you gave me the name of the book and the author. I didn't immediately remember what it was. And then I got a copy of the book and there's this sort of like new-ish paperback cover. And right. I thought that I had never heard of this book before. I was like, oh great, like something new. And then I was just like looking it up online, trying to get some other notes together. And I saw the red and pink striped cover. Yes, the OG cover. Yeah. The OG <laughs> cover with like the combat boots and she's holding the rag doll. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally remember that <laughs> cover because it is a really iconic cover. And I think it especially was like, it was very of the time in the mm-hmm. early aughts, but also like sort of very special in its own right. Like I'm pretty sure I just like plucked it off the bookshelf at the store because it called to me like how could it not with those colors listeners maybe I'll include a picture of the old cover in the show notes for this episode in case you're like me and can kind of only remember this book based on the (laughs) cover so I think I read it later in high school I have this sort of weird like memory void where I feel like I can't remember the books that I read for fun when I was like a junior and senior in high school Mm -hmm. I remember more what I read when I was younger But I have a harder time placing books that I read as, like, a teen. And I don't know if it's because I was reading, like, more for English class and I maybe didn't have as much time to read for pleasure. But I do think this is one that I, like, found and read maybe when I was, like, 16 or 17. And it was interesting reading it now. And I find this with a lot of the SSR books. But sort of taking a step back and, like, identifying some of the topics that the author discussed and then kind of placing myself back where I would have been in the time when I read it trying to like figure out how I would have absorbed that based on like the context that I was reading it in and like would this have been new for me like how would I have processed this I always find that to be like an interesting game to play with the show and clearly like none of this rocked my world to the point that I like still remember everything about the book (laughs) because I did need to have my memory jogged but as you said like there's like a new kind of diversity in this book that I don't think a lot of other authors were playing in at that time and thankfully like I'm so glad to see that there are books like this in 2002 but also like you know I hate to say like issues but this was probably one of the first books that I read that 
talked so explicitly about abortion. It was probably one of the first books I ever read that featured so kind of like casually a queer gay relationship and and in which coming out wasn't like the central topic. It was just like, oh, here's like this fantastic couple living their life and nobody's asking questions about it. And just thinking about the fact that like this may have been a book where I was able to experience those storylines for the first time made me really happy because as you said, it's also just like a really cool book. Like it's well written and fun and interesting. Um, And the voice is just like off the walls wonderful (laughs) yeah she says some really funny stuff like even even I was and I was rereading it on the subway coming home today because I originally read it in July when we were first with and I kind of forgot yeah like skimming through it but that's just like the stuff that she says to people I like and how would I react if someone talked to me that way just like the, the phrases that she uses either in dialogue or when she's thinking to herself are so funny to me and it just so perfect. It like makes her this very distinct individual. Like I would never confuse Sid Charisse with anybody else or any other main characters that I've read because she's just so unique. I also was like, so not this kid. And I wonder if that was part (laughs) of it. Like she's so (laughs) sassy. Sometimes she's a little mean. Like we could say that sometimes she's mean, but there's definitely a softness under her, which I'm sure we'll uncover more as we talk. But I, I always wonder too, like maybe there was a little bit of like escapist for me or like maybe there was a part of me that like wanted to bring my teen angst to the surface in a way that like I was way too sort of restrained to do. But like Citrice just let it fly. And I, I feel like maybe yeah. that appealed to me a little bit too. And she expressed herself in such a clear way. I was always drawn to characters that like were a little bit more artistic and kind of like wore their individuality more sort of like on their face or on their body or fashion wise. So I think that that was probably another thing that I liked about her. Have you ever read the book Wheatsy Bat? Oh my God. I love that book. It is one of my favorite books. <laughs> so good. I read it for the first time a couple of months ago for the podcast. And okay. I feel like this book, just in terms of voice and kind of the way it like very yes, narrowly very- toes the line between like reality and whimsy, mm-hmm. it had some shades of Wheatsy Bat for me, which I, I think is great. See that. Yeah. yeah. I never even thought to put that together, but it, it does sort of have that similar kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as whimsical yeah. as we'd see that, but there's something about the tone of it that felt very similar. Yeah. Or, or just like she has a way of finding these different found families. She finds Sugar Pie and Fernando and, of course, Shrimp, and then Shrimp's brother and his fiance, and then she goes and meets, like, her actual family, but she finds them again because she's never met them before. And so I think Wheatsy Bat had a strong sense of, like, found family, too. It was all based around this girl who was sort of a little offbeat. So I can definitely see the similarities between the two. I never even thought of that before. Maybe that's why I liked it so much, yeah. too, because I love Wheatsy Bat. Yeah. Well, just the name. I mean, even like the names in themselves were kind of calling that back to me while I was reading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As you mentioned, like the book takes place on the two coasts. Like you, I like always dreamed of living in New York. And I think the way that Rachel Cohn captures New York in this book is so special. And on days, I don't know if you have days like this as a fellow New Yorker, but there are (laughs) days when I'm like, I don't know if I really like it as much anymore. Sometimes it's tiring. It's dirty. It feels very inconvenient sometimes. And then I read a book like this. I'm like, oh, I need to remember how I saw it when I was Sid Charisse's age and coming for like the first time. So I feel like I need to like flag some pages in this book and just like save them for like a literal rainy day in New York when I don't want to live here anymore. 
Yeah, and I definitely feel that. I was rereading this scene when um, she decides that she's going to go to, I think it's to Danny, her brother's cafe. Mm-hmm. And she's like going to get on the subway. But Luis, her dad's driver, is like, you're getting on the subway. And he like goes with her. And just like reading her experience, the subway for the first time, was just really special. Because, you know, I get on the subway, I'm like, oh, my God, the subway. Like, yeah. all these people, you know. But that was really interesting to see it through her eyes. So I agree with that. Yeah. And my other sort of like broader observation before I think we should just like get into the story because it is such Mm -hmm. a great story. Just from a writing perspective, like I kept making these notes where I just feel, I feel like Rachel Cohn made a list of all of the fun things she wanted to write about (laughs) and all of the cool characters that she wanted to get to know. And she figured out a way to put them together in this book. Definitely. Right? Like, the you know, these are things that I have always been like, oh, it would be fun to write about, like, owning a bakery and, like, mm-hmm. running a restaurant and then living in San Francisco and having, like, a boarding school. Like, all of these sort of, like, yeah. really fun concepts that I think a lot of authors try to play in maybe, like, one at a time. Rachel Cohn's somehow found a way to put them all together in a way that made sense. Definitely. Or just, like, specifically speaking about New York, it felt like so quintessential, like pizza, the cafe, the subway going, I think she goes uptown at one point to go to like the woman's restaurant who made the gingerbread. And she's just sort of all over the place. Like she's in the village, she's on the Upper West Side. And it did feel like she was, but it didn't feel like clunky. Yeah. It felt like very effortless the way that she did everything. And I've only been to San Francisco once, but when I was there, I did get like the way that she just describes all of it. It was, or just like when they take that drive to the beach and like shrimp surf and everything. I just felt like I was there and it did feel like she just tried to put all the best things about these places into the book. Yeah. The sense of place was really great and it made me want to go back to San Francisco and it made me want to like explore New York a little bit more and like maybe eat a little bit more pizza or something. Yeah. Yeah. So when we meet Sid Charisse, she has just been kicked out of this like posh New England boarding school. I think she is she's 16 when we meet her. She's just finishing. She's a junior. Yeah, she's 16. Yeah, she's 16. Yeah. Okay. So we meet her when she's 16. She's just left this boarding school. We're not totally sure right away why she's been asked to leave by the headmaster and she's back home in San Francisco and she's with her parents, Sid and Nancy. Her stepdad <laughs> is Sid SID and yeah. her name is Sid CYD, Sid Sharice, which is I guess the same name as a very famous dancer, and we learn more yeah. about that story later on. Um, and Nancy is her mom, and then they have these two much younger children who are Sid Charisse's half-siblings, Ashley and Josh. Mm-hmm. And as we've sort of alluded to Shrimp, who is, like, the romantic hero of the book, yeah. although they do have <laughs> some ups and downs, but he's this, like, cool artist surfer, and the way that Sid Charisse kind of describes her current situation is like this. Since being kicked out of the fancy boarding school in New England, I've been attending an alternative high school for the arts in San Francisco. The school is really just a dumping ground for rich parents' kids who aren't total social misfits, but who also have no interest in being trend victim poster children. But it's also a haven for scholarship students with actual talent like shrimp. So that's where she meets shrimp at this school, this like alternative school. Um, And they're spending like tons of time together. He has this cool brother, Wallace, who goes by Java because he owns Java the Hut. Mm-hmm. Just, I love all of these like funky small businesses that she's come yeah. up with. I want to hang out at all of them. Yeah. 
I remember having a huge crush on Java, like a huge book crush on him. And I think it was probably because she had such a crush on him. Just like the way that she describes him was like a taller, like broader shrimp who's already supposed to be really handsome. And also the, the, um, her friendship with sugar pie. And I, you know, what's funny. I'm just now realizing that sugar pie was black. Yeah. I did not pick up on that as a teenager. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. And maybe it's because I was reading really quickly, but when I was rereading it again, I was like, wait a minute, sugar pie is black. That's so cool. I had no idea. Well, because it's Um, this like white, this wealthy white girl, this recovering Hellion as her stepfather has deemed her, who's like best friend is not only a black woman, but like an older black woman, which is such an unusual kind of like set of demographics to feature as a best friend character in a YA book. Exactly. And and she gets there because of, was she in trouble for doing something? Like she was doing community service there, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure how long they'd known each other. I got the sense that it had maybe been from like a previous indiscretion that she had to do community service like before she went to boarding school in the first place. So she and Sugar Pie have been like pals for a while. And she's this cool lady. Like she reads tarot cards. She's really, she yeah. gives like great advice. So wise. <laughs> so wise. We learn a lot from her. Um, so yeah. yeah, like right away we have this awesome cast of characters. So we talked a little bit about Sid Charisse's voice. Did you mm. find her to be like, I feel like sympathetic character is such a weird phrase because it's great when characters are complicated and you don't necessarily want them to be like sympathetic or likable or whatever. But yeah. how did you feel like kind of getting back into her head around the fact that she's been kicked out of this private school? I, I sometimes find as an adult, like I read storylines like that differently. How did you read that this time around? I think that she sounded a little bratty, mm. which I think it was. it's, it's a part of her her growth, her, like her emotional or, you know, she kind of grows up over the course of the book. But I think that she, because you don't know what she did yet. She, to me, I felt like she had this huge chip on her shoulder, but I was like, but your life's great, you know? Yeah. Cause she has this mother who, you know, a lot of people have issues with their mother in high school, but her stepdad was like amazing. Loved him. And I loved Sid and like her younger siblings are so sweet. And she like, she has sugar pie and she has uh, also Fernanda. Like she has this, this community of people who continuously forgive her over and over, you know, even when she's like, you know, kind of a bitch to everyone. And so I, as an adult reading it, I was like, she, she's like, she doesn't realize the good in her life. And I think as a teenager, because I was right there with her, I was like, yeah, everyone's annoying. Like I get it, you know? Yeah. But I think as an adult now reading her story, I saw her growth much more clearly. Like, you know, by the time she gets back home to San Francisco with her family, or even, you know, when her parents fly out to New York to see her, she just has a better sense of being grateful for what family is and the role that she plays in her family. But at the beginning, I think she does, she doesn't realize what she has. And you sort of just want to like put her aside and be like, listen, this, these are all the great things in your life. But you know, she did go through that experience at boarding school and she's fixating, even though she doesn't acknowledge it. 
But she, you know, the whole reason, well, not the whole reason, because shrimp is like amazing and like anybody would easily fall for him. But she gets with him and uses him sort of as an escape from what happened to her. Like, so she can forget about Justin, who's the bad boyfriend. And, you know, shrimp is all these good things. But she's also, and he might even make that point. Like when they're breaking up, like he says something to her like, I might be getting it confused with another book I've read recently, but doesn't he say something to her that's like his, she's got well, she's got issues that she has to work out? Yeah, they need space extent. from each other to like work yeah. through things. Like he needs to be with his art, and she needs yeah. to like work through stuff. So I think right. he acknowledges that he's a little bit of like a security blanket in all of this. And I pulled exactly. out a quote, sort of describing like her feelings about shrimp. She says, "Until shrimp, I didn't know it was possible to care so much for another person that your heart just wants to combust with happiness." every time you are around that person, which like makes my (laughs) heart just feel so warm and fuzzy for like high school relationships and like your first love, not in a condescending way, but in like a very real way, because that is how it feels like whether the relationship ends up being good or bad in the long run, that is how it feels the first time that you stumble on somebody in whatever way that you end up really caring about. Yeah, and I think that what was cool about Sid Charisse and Shrimp is that like, that was sort of her second time finding someone that she really liked and became infatuated with. And so what was what's unique about this book is that Shrimp is the person she gets with after she's already had a bad relationship. And that's all off the page. Everything that happens with Justin, you just get tidbits from like her memory or she like she'll bring him up and she'll be like the bad boyfriend or you know, she never like directly until the end, she doesn't really directly address him or yeah. what happened. And it's unusual for the love interest to not have been the love interest for a while. Or usually, like, you meet them and that person is the only one. But, you know, Shrimp was coming in sort of filling a void. And I think it sort of speaks, I guess, to Rachel Cohn's, like, craft that you were able to be like, okay, there's this like Justin person who did something to her, but whatever, I like shrimp, you know? Yeah. And I, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I've read a lot of YA contemporary where the love interest was someone who was like the antithesis or the opposite of a, the, the previous mm-hmm. love interest, you know? Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting is that like, obviously at the end we find out that Justin did some pretty crappy stuff. Right. But until that point, he's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea or like everybody's type, but he's also not entirely unlikable. Right. Um, Right. And I think that like he sort of represents this alternate high school ideal. You know, we have Shrimp who's like the sensitive artist surfer type, which like these are archetypes that we've seen in movies and TV shows and books forever. So like this is a character that we know. Just like Justin, the boy that she met at boarding school who's like the captain of the lacrosse team who seems to have a lot of money is probably very like quote unquote like conventionally handsome yeah um, is like cool in the way of again like teen movies he drinks he does drugs <laughs> like things that we're used to seeing in pop culture that often denote coolness in a way that like is really messed up but yeah. like that's a thing that people are used to seeing and used to sort of like understanding to be like not necessarily a bad thing for everyone. I think until we find out at the end that Justin is actually like not a good person or at, or at least has some growing to do, right. you can almost just think of it like, oh, Sid Charisse is sort of like 
coming into her like a San Francisco identity and that's why she's opted for somebody like shrimp like it's not necessarily that Justin was a bad guy it's just like she had one identity at boarding school and now she's like stepping away from that and this is the partner that she's more comfortable with so I think you're right it's like you know there's these two romantic interests that loom pretty large for different reasons um and at least for most of the book like we don't have reason to like hate the other guy he just isn't the right fit anymore right right and it's like even when she because she never talks about Justin in a positive way unless she's talking about when they first got together and she really liked him but even when she's talking about him you know you're not getting the full story so it's like I'll go along with disliking him Mm -hmm. because you don't like him right but I also don't know why you don't like him and you know you find out and then Towards the end, you find out, like, you see him, and you're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. (laughs) But I thought that that was really interesting because you don't see him. You Mm -hmm. just hear about him. So you can't really form your own opinion until you see him in action. Right. Well, and so much what we hear about him, too, is, like, just relative to shrimp. Like, I I feel like I made a note. Like, there's a full page somewhere in the beginning that's just a series of paragraphs, basically, where she was like, Justin does this. Shrimp does that. Like, Justin hates Pop-Tarts. Shrimp is obsessed with Pop-Tarts. And so, like, a lot of what we're learning about him is basically, like, he's everything that shrimp is not, which is is interesting. And I do think it's, like, reflective sort of of the experience when you're a teenager of, like, figuring out how you're going to relate romantically to other people. Because I think that, like, people go through that as teenagers. And as we've mentioned, like, there's sort of this other circumstance going on with Justin that really complicates things. But I feel like growing up, so many people as they're figuring out who they're interested in dating will date completely different kinds of people because you're not sure like what your type is like are you comfortable with somebody that's very similar to you or are you more interested in somebody that's really different and so I think that's another piece of this book that's super relatable because it does take time and like you do kind of have to experiment a little and it can go on well past your teens also like this is not necessarily a process that stops but I think teens in particular can relate to the fact that like I could be into surfer dude but I could also be into lacrosse dude right yeah definitely in the that, that it makes me think about Luis who is like he's not a lover just in this book but he sort of becomes one later on okay who is also just super different because he's like the urban he because he lives in New York and he's like older and he plays basketball and he's like a legit adult I don't think I realized that yeah when I was a teen I was just like oh he's older and he's like hot like does she likes him I like him too whatever but then rereading it now I was like oh no he was 20 like yeah <laughs> he was 20 and as a teen I didn't see anything wrong with it because I think that like I was 16 she was 16 and I think that or at least like you know I always had like crushes on older celebrities and like older boys were like I don't think I ever would have made out with one of them like Sid Charisse did but you 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 know you become infatuated so I was like oh wow she's doing what I would never do but I'm like rooting for her to do it but as an adult I was like oh my god what is she doing like I just felt like a protective mother like no don't hang even though he's not that he's not a bad guy this book was written in 2002 yeah yeah, I don't think we would see something like that now. <laughs> I, I don't think so either, especially, like, the weirdness because he works for her dad. he works for dad, it's, yeah. It's, I think there's just, like, a level of appropriateness. Like, these are the things yeah. that are sometimes hard, I think, about coming back to these books from especially, yeah. like, the 90s and the aughts. Because now we're like, oh, that feels icky. Definitely, yeah, because that, that, 
he was he was over he's over eighteen, and that just was like. Well, I think he was like super high when they were hooking up, like that. Yeah, I think that was weird too. Yeah, yeah, he'd been like like, he was not in good shape when that encounter happened. And I think did she she just gotten off the phone with her mom or something? She was upset for some reason, and I feel like she sort of just reacted in a very. Uh, I don't think she was re- reacting rationally. Uh, I think she was just really upset and was like, oh, he's here and I'm yeah. just going to do what I feel like doing. But they do later on see each other again and they're both like, that was not a good idea, which I appreciated yes. as an adult. <laughs> Thank you for saying so. Characters, yeah. we appreciate that. So yeah, there's these yeah. interesting like men sort of orbiting around Sidcherise, but the real mm. like crux of what's gone on um, and we find it out in bits and pieces throughout the book, is that Sid Charisse had an abortion when she was living in New England and at this prep school. She and Justin were together, and she ended up getting pregnant, um, and she actually called her dad for the money to get the abortion. My question, of course, was like, you know, Justin maybe should have thrown in a little bit to help. Like, they're yeah. at this fancy boarding school, and she's too scared to call her mom, but she does call her dad to get the help and, like, where was Justin but it turns out that Justin like physically wasn't there at all she went to the clinic by herself and all of this sort of unfolds over the course of the book but they didn't actually break up until she was kicked out of school because I guess they both were kicked out of school because they were caught like hanging out inappropriately Um, but there's a quote after she runs into him in New York later on where she says I thought I continued to sleep with you after that and I probably would have continued to even longer if the headmaster hadn't found us, expelled us, and returned me home where I would find out about true love, about kindness, and good people. So, like, she didn't necessarily feel like she needed to break up with him just because he hadn't supported her through the process of getting the abortion. There's a lot here about self-esteem and, like, sort of how Justin made her feel. I have a very long excerpt pulled out that I think speaks to this really well that I'll read, if you don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, no, go ahead. Let's do it. She says, I had liked being Justin's girlfriend. I did not want this trouble. I wouldn't say that I fooled myself that we were in love. Even then, I understood the diff between love and lust, even if the love part I'd yet to experience. But I liked that when I was with Justin, I was somebody, and somebody is capital S. I was not the weird girl with the unsmiling face and the strange mannerisms. I was a pretty girl who people chose on teams and sat with at lunch. The girl hanging onto the varsity jacket of practically the most popular guy at school. I was admired. I could have done without the drugs and alcohol, but those are part of the Justin package, a price I was willing to pay. So there's a lot going on here. She clearly like had some self-esteem that she got from this particular relationship. And that kind of like, I, I think that that sort of blocked at the time any instinct that she had to run the other way when he wasn't supportive through that like very scary experience that she had of getting an abortion by herself and throughout the book like we get bits and pieces of this whole story where like we find out pretty early on that she'd had an abortion and I think we meet her right around when her due date would have been because she's feeling sad about the fact that like she should have been or she could have been having a baby like at roughly the same time then it comes up a few other times throughout the book and it's interesting because you do see these like maternal moments like she does have this very hard edge but then you see her with her brother and sister Mm -hmm. and she's so sweet and so soft and then she has this ragdoll gingerbread who's kind of the outlet for a lot of her maternal instincts Um, and that all kind of begins to make sense once we learn more of the story yeah and something 
Well, you mentioned like her, her lack of self-esteem when she meets Justin. And I don't think that I'd have really thought about it when I was reading as a teenager or just recently. But when you were talking about it, it makes me think of how she was when they met, right? Because she was like a super loner and she didn't have any friends. And she's, she sort of describes that she's never had any friends. And the fact that she found some kind of glory in being somebody with a capital S with Justin makes me think about her relationship with her mother and how her mom was is like described as being very beautiful, like classically beautiful. And she carries a lot about her appearance. And Sid Charisse has struggled with that a lot of her life, trying to trying to conform or then later not conform to what her mother wants her to be and to do. And she had, what's her nickname? I think it's the little hellion. Yeah. Because like they're, they're covering hellion, like some variety of that. Yeah. Like she's just been a troublemaker and has never felt like she belonged anywhere. And so then when she found a boy who had a space who, who had this whole world set already. And then he opened up a space for her. It was very easy for her to fall into that place and then stay there. Even when things got, you know, really crappy for her because she didn't, it was the first time she belonged and she didn't know anything else. Um, I was actually having this conversation with a friend the other day about like real life relationships and how sometimes we can be in relationships that are, relationships that are just so bad for us. But we stay in them because, you know, based on different circumstances, but it takes like some, not necessarily otherworldly, but some like really bad thing to happen that makes you crash into the wall and realize you're not supposed to be with this person. And I think Sid Charisse knew for a long time that Justin wasn't right for her because of the lifestyle he was living was not in line, you know, regardless of how much of a, um, a rebellious girl she was. She wasn't doing drugs and she wasn't drinking. She was just like naturally didn't fit in with people, but he was just not good for her. And it took that happening and not even, not even the abortion. It took her, I think they got caught having sex, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Up. They were together for, for a while after the abortion. Yeah. And I actually, I really liked the fact that the abortion wasn't the thing that sort of like brought her yeah. crashing to her knees. Cause I think that it would have been really easy for this to become like, if it were written by another author, cause I don't think that this is the place where Rachel Cohn's coming from, but I'm sure there right. are other books where probably a lot of other books that are written more as cautionary tales where it's like everything goes to shit because you had an abortion. But in this book, right. it's actually like, no, she went and she handled that experience on her own. It wasn't a positive one. And there were a lot of things that could have gone differently to make it a more positive one. And she's not yeah. like happy that it happened. Um, and I think it's like sort of, it's a very measured way to explain what happened to her. But like, that's not the reason that everything was ruined. Like she yeah. was going to go back and be with the guy. And I think like if Justin had been a better dude, like that's not a bad sort of example to show like that does happen to people like you can have an abortion and you can stay with that person and you can like continue to build a relationship this is a very long-winded way of saying that (laughs) I am happy that that wasn't what sort of like ruined quote-unquote ruined her it was the fact that like she had to be thrown out of school and go back to her parents house on the other side of the country to like really start from scratch again right and even like because he didn't come with her to get her abortion and that really hurt her but even and you know she was like devastated about that but even afterward she still stayed with him anyway and I feel like that was really realistic and so like you said I was 
as an adult, I can read it and appreciate that you can sort of see the decline of their relationship from that moment when he didn't come with her. So, although it was probably declining by that point. I hope it was because I hope, yeah, I mean, I'm, but I liked the fact that it wasn't necessarily that their relationship was dictated by the fact that she had gotten pregnant, dictated by the fact that she had an abortion. It was more dictated by like his shitty behavior Right. And that's what ultimately was, like, the thing that made her realize that he was a bad guy. And now, like, just the way that I would hope that teen girls are, like, being presented stories of women that have to go through this experience, like, I I like this route. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if I've read something like this yeah. or something that has been done like this. And I would like definitely like to see more of it handled that way, like the the realistic aftermaths of it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and then there's this really interesting kind of full circle thing that happens because we should definitely circle back and talk about Sid Sharice's experience with her dad in New York. But after she's had some time with her dad in New York, her mom ends up coming to visit her and to spend some time in the city. And it just so happens that her visit falls right after Sid Sharice has run into Justin at a gap, which I love. And I think her experience of running into Justin at said gap, oh, it, it just made me think about like a run-in that I had with an ex one time that was so out of context and left me feeling very like similar feelings to what Sid Charisse yeah. was feeling. I didn't have the sort of experience of like being let down by this guy to the extent that Sid Charisse had been let down by this guy, by mm-hmm. Justin. But I think almost anybody can relate to that moment where you like run into somebody in a completely unexpected moment in a completely unexpected yeah. place. And it's somebody that maybe you feel like you've gotten over and you were past it and you were feeling great. You were looking good. Like, you hadn't thought about the person in forever and all of a sudden like there they are and you're completely unprepared to deal with it. And I felt it so hard for her. Yeah. And there are so many things that I love about that moment. Number one, the way that she, Rachel Cohn does it, you don't see it coming because Sid Charisse is hanging out one-on-one with her sister, Lizbeth, Beth in all caps. I loved that as a teenager. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And they're finally starting to bond. It's like a little scratchy, but they are starting to bond. And then they walk into the gap and she sees Justin and it comes out of nowhere. It was like perfectly played. And when you, even you as, as the reader, you're like, oh shit, like that's Justin. And you're also like, oh, finally I'm seeing this boy who you heard so much about. And just the way that like Lisbeth is there, like trying to make sure everything's okay. But then she gives her this space when she needs it. And then Justin is just like such a scumbag because he says something like, he's like talking to her like nothing bad has happened. And then she sees what must be his girlfriend sitting off to the side and she's like not really answering his questions and she points and she's like is that your girlfriend and he like <laughs> pulled doses over that question and he's like I've been thinking about you you're just like oh my god get out like yeah. he's the worst I thought that that was so well done because it's like Sid is never at a loss for words she always has something to say she always has a thought like a fast whip and she's like you said she's very direct and outspoken but in that moment she just didn't know what to say because it was such a surprise and so out of context and I think it really shook her to see him there and he's like at a new boarding school he has a new like 
of paraphernalia on and he's with this girl who was like conventionally more fit to be with him. And he's just like, yeah, you know, my parents are, I'm like staying at their apartment in the city you know, just living his life. And she's like been going through hell all summer. Yeah. And I think that it, it took something like that and later in order for her to open it up to her mom and like for them to finally have that mother daughter moment that you've been hoping that they would eventually come to. Yeah. But yeah, I love that scene so much. And when I think about it, I think about her sister who was kind of like, I know something's off here. She did. Cause she doesn't even really know Sid Sharice, but she's like, something's off and I'm going to like sort of escort her out of this situation. And I felt like that was a really good building and also bonding moment for the two of them. So as you said, then there's this conversation with her mom, which is really, really, really interesting. And their relationship has been a roller coaster, to say the least, throughout the whole book. You get the sense that they have all of these like really like kind of special memories, tender moments that they shared together, kind of like pre her mom, quote unquote, settling down. Like there was a period of time when it was just the two of them. Um, which I relate to because there were many years like after my parents got divorced and it was just sort of like me and my mom against the Mm -hmm. world. And like, those are some of my favorite memories with my Mm -hmm. mom. And so I, I like really loved the flashback scenes of like the day that they went for a drive and there was like the scarf blowing in the wind and you could tell that she felt like needed, like her mom didn't just love her, but like needed her in order to exist. And that was really beautiful. So you know that they have those memories. There's like a lot of arguing, but it doesn't seem like (laughs) so out of the norm. I mean, Sid Charisse just has like a lot to say to everybody. And there are a couple of passages throughout the book where she's like, I know Nancy thinks I hate her, but I don't like, I know that she does everything she can for me, but just like, this is how I communicate with her. And it's also hard because like in some ways Sid Charisse has become a little bit of an afterthought to Nancy's new life or at least that's how she sees it like she has these two quote-unquote new kids and like a newer husband and it's awkward to be the teenager in that situation so I think like she's figuring out all of that but Nancy shows up in New York and for the first time Sid Sharice shares her story of having the abortion and going there alone And they end up having this, like, extremely honest conversation about what Nancy's experience having Sid Charisse had been like. Because she was also very young, not quite as young as Sid Charisse was when she got pregnant. But I would think, like, definitely in her early 20s, based on some of the other clues throughout the book. And we learn that she actually had gone to an abortion clinic twice when she was pregnant. Although Frank, Sid Charisse's dad, did go with her, which I thought was an interesting detail that Rachel Khan snuck in there. And then when she decided not to have an abortion, she was actually, like very committed to placing Citrice for adoption. The story goes like this. The papers had been signed, the parents chosen, but I had insisted that I get to name you. I chose the name Sid Charisse because I wanted to be able to find you later, and I wanted you to have a name so distinct that there could be no mistaking you when I found you. But then, after the birth, they gave you to me to hold, and I couldn't let go. I just couldn't. I knew that whatever it took, I would find a way for us to be together to be a family. So, Sid Charisse has just learned a lot of stuff about where she comes from, which was really interesting and kind of like the way that their experiences were similar and then the way that their experiences ended up being so different, but how Nancy was like so non-judgmental about the whole thing. Like if anything, I think she felt just sad that she couldn't have been there to support her and to like make sure that everything was done in a safe and healthy way for her. Yeah. Because then I think, you know, after they have that conversation is when Sid dad comes in and then Nancy goes in the bathroom just to like cry by herself. And 
I think that since Sharice was younger, going back to the scene where she's like describing how they were driving in the car and Nancy had this scarf blowing in the wind, I think that Sharice was very enamored with her mother for a long time. And then she that was that was what she knew. That was her ideal of beauty or or being a woman. And then Sid dad came in the picture and then she became she, she, I think Nancy was sort of trying, to, she was trying to give Sid Charisse the life that she wanted to her to have, or she thought she needed with the dad who had a lot of money. And then the younger siblings, like she's trying to create this like ideal family. And she wants for Sid Charisse, you know, that's why she like, she, there's like a line where she's like, she knew she had to make a family for her. But I think while doing that, she didn't realize that there was a, a loss of attention on Sid Charisse, which sort of let her grow into being the rebellious girl that she was. But you mentioned something about like the seeing the similarities between the two of them and Sid Cherie seeing where she comes from. And also Frank is so interesting as a character and how he went with Nancy the two times that she, she thought she was going to get an abortion. But what I really loved about hearing about Nancy and Frank from Danny, her uh, situation's brother, who is like my favorite. I love him so much. I love him. I want like a movie about Danny. Cause their little operation they were running, the like coffee shop, restaurant, bakery. I was like, this yeah. could be in a Hallmark movie and I want to see it. And he's it. just so open. And like from the minute he meets her, he just loves her and he just like accepts her with open arms. But he says something that's like Frank and Nancy, were legitimately in love and Frank wanted to be with Nancy but his wife was never going to divorce him and so they couldn't really go anywhere and you know he was messed up in his own ways because he sort of just kept Nancy hanging on like he had her placed in an apartment and he had situaries but he was never going to make the situation right like he was always going to try to keep them as like a secret and keep them taken care of but not have them be his family. And I did think it was really interesting that that they did love each other. Yeah. And they had wanted to be together, but it just didn't work out. And Frank was just really interesting because like when you first when she first gets to New York and Louise picks her up, he's like, Oh, you're Frank's niece. And she's like, his niece? Please. <laughs> not his niece. And she meets Frank and he's just he just doesn't know what to do with her. He's like in his sixties. He's already raised two teenagers. He's like, You are a lot. <laughs> you look just like me and you are yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I I liked that Frank and Sid Charisse didn't have this perfect hallmark like we are lost father and daughter and we're going to come together and realize they do realize that they do certain things like similarly but they weren't perfect yeah and I kept waiting for them to have that moment where they clicked because as the book starts to wind down like Sid Charisse is like reflecting on her time in New York and she's like you know, I bonded with Danny and Aaron and like things might not be so bad with my sister. Like I feel like a better Mm -hmm. version of myself. And I feel like I even made a note in my book where I wrote like, the only thing left to do is to like have a good conversation with Frank. Um, yeah. And it doesn't really happen, at least not in a neat and tidy way. And there's a scene a little mm-hmm. bit before that, I think, where you like you realize that there's sort of these like sneaky similarities between them because they go to an art museum and she yeah. loves like the modern artists. And so she's excited to go because I think he had run through like a long list of other activities that they could do and she wasn't mm-hmm. interested in any of them. And he finally is like, well, you know, I like to go to museums and he clearly wasn't expecting her to be interested because 
he like doesn't see her as somebody who could like what he perceives as like culture you know real culture right but she loves modern art and there's this moment of recognition I think where it's like okay well maybe we don't enjoy this for the same reason because you you know I can't help but imagine that Frank likes to go to the museums for like the society and you know like (laughs) kind of the prestige of like walking around a museum but she also would be happy to go and so like you know, they don't have that perfect moment, but they do realize that there's some things under the surface there that maybe they could like learn to share. Yeah. And I feel like you, you missed that, the lack of like a solidified connection between Sid, Sharice and Frank. But then there's that really beautiful moment with Sid, her stepdad, after she tells Nancy about her abortion, Nancy goes to cry. And then she's, says something like, I guess I really needed a dad. And he's like, I really needed a daughter. And I'm like, I remember being very touched by that as a teen and rereading it. I was just, I just love that so much. And in the next two books, you get to see a lot more Frank and her relationship with Frank, but also with Sid. And it's just really interesting the differences between the two of them because Frank, I think she calls him bio dad, doesn't she? Yeah, they call him bio dad or Mm -hmm. something. But like Sid has been like her real father. And I think that going back to the point that I made earlier, if they know her being kind of bratty and a little ungrateful, she becomes very grateful for the relationship that she has with Sid. And I think she sort of recognizes him as being like her legit father figure, which is really nice to see. Yeah, because she had had early in the book, like, this very idealized version of who Frank might be. Like, anytime she was mad at, like, the parents that were there day in and day out, she would go on these, like, long soliloquies about, like, well, I'm sure this is what, like, my (laughs) real dad would do. And, like, this is what his wife would do. Like, they would understand me. And to put it briefly, like, Frank disappoints her in that. Like, he's nothing like what she would have hoped he would be. But she recognizes that, like, he might have a part to play in her life, even if it's not what she would have hoped and dreamed. And Sid has been there and done the work and supported her. She talks about, I think it was, like, maybe elementary school or middle school when there was, like, a career day. And Sid came in to, like, do the career day thing. And it just meant so much to her to have, like, a parent, like, in the flesh there to, like, represent her. And as somebody who's been very lucky with step-parents, like, I have two wonderful Mm -hmm. step-parents. And it just, like gave me this appreciation where it's, you know, my arrangement is not like Sid Charisse's and I don't have a Frank. <laughs> um, my dad is wonderful, but I just think realizing as you get older that like, even if your family doesn't necessarily look like everybody else's, like everybody in your family has a part to play and something to teach you and you can look to people for different things. And um, I think that's like a really valuable lesson for kids whose families might not necessarily be like the two parent married forever kind of model. And I think the other thing that's really valuable in this book is there's a line where Danny's telling Sid Charisse, like the whole background of how the whole yeah. family came together. And he basically is like, you know, we can acknowledge that dad is like a loving dad and like not a terrible person, but he's like a shitty husband and like, yeah, like partner. And I think that I love when I see moments like that in teen books, because I think it's so healthy for younger people to understand that like, there is going to be a time in your life where you can acknowledge that your parents are humans and it doesn't make them lesser or it doesn't mean that you should love them less, but you're going to realize that there are things that they've done that you don't agree with. And like, it's not one or the other. Like you can love them anyway. And you can also look at their behavior and be like, "Mm, not sure that that would have been my choice. So I loved that moment too. Rachel Cohn has like 
these two really great depictions of blended families and how different they are. Her dad's kids are much older than she is. And so they, and they got not a different version of the story. They, they got the truth, but they knew who Sid Charisse was and they sort of, they lived with Frank and they got him. And like you said, Sid Charisse had these ideas of what Frank would be like. And then she meets Danny and he's like, oh no, that's not what it was. But he wasn't a bad dad. He just wasn't what you thought. And even in those moments when he's telling her about Frank, he's also like, but Sid's great. Like yeah. He's our godfather. He's amazing. And like she doesn't say it explicitly, but in those moments, you can tell that she's like, like she'll say something like, well, what about my dad? And Danny will think she's talking about Frank, but she's like, no, I'm like, I meant Sid. And I think in those moments, she's like missing him a little bit, which I thought was really sweet. And another moment that I really loved is when she was saying how Sid used to like throw baseballs, like they used to throw baseballs around. Mm -hmm. And she missed that once Josh and Ashley, Ashley's her younger sister. Yeah. Once they came in the picture, like, so she also... She yearns for a better relationship with her mother, even though she will never say it. But she also really misses Sid, which she does say. So I think that it's it was just really interesting to see the juxtaposition of those two male father. Well, I guess Frank's not really a father figure, but he's a father. Those two males in her life and uh, or even just the differences with the siblings. Like she loves her younger siblings and they love her, but she like gets tired of them <laughs> because they're so young and mm-hmm. they're like rambunctious and wild. And she imagines like this super sophisticated life, but then she gets to New York and Danny is great. But Lizbeth is like, doesn't really, you know, like when she first meets her, she's like, oh, you're just like your mom. Cause she sees her like making out with Lu- Louise. Is that? Louise, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do not hit it off. And I think that she gets to New York and she just has a lot of rude awakenings for what she thought, what she imagined in all these years it's nothing like except for Danny Danny's pretty awesome but everything else is not that great and her dad doesn't even remember the gingerbread that he gave her and you could tell he feels kind of guilty about it but you know she has these just these ideas in her head and nothing sort of lives up to them and I think it was really good for her to get that reality check yeah the reality that there's no perfect family and no perfect human and no perfect home and no perfect right. way to grow up and those are all like really great lessons for a small book there's so yeah, much, we could go on for another so hour I had so many other things I had to talk about <laughs> I wanted to talk more about Danny I wanted to talk more about Lisbeth I yeah. wanted to talk more about gingerbread who like we barely touched on I, know. I had so many thoughts <laughs> on like privilege and I had thoughts about money and I had thoughts about like this idea that Sid Therese has moments throughout the book where I feel like she has been taught that her sexuality is dangerous like I had all these things yeah. that I wanted to talk about it's, it's like 200 pages but she packs so much in it <laughs> and it's weird because when you're reading it you're not super aware of everything yeah. that's in it and then I was reflecting after and I was like oh wow there's a lot here so maybe we'll have to do a part two I'm so <laughs> glad we read this book I know you said that you reread the whole series three years ago yeah. so you sort of have a couple of data points maybe to inform your answer to this question but mm-hmm. coming back to gingerbread as an adult has it made you love it all the more or has it not held up for you in some way it's definitely made me love it more especially Especially as a writer in terms of uh, just looking at craft because I read it so quickly as a teen and I think something that I always say is like if you can read a book in one day that writer has done something really great the fact that you could read it in one day and I've tried to 
I've been my career is me trying to master that, like trying to, to write a book that somebody can read in one day. And she does that with all three of the books in this series. So I definitely still really love it. And I still have not read a character like Sid Charisse, even all these years later. So, yeah. She's pretty special. Well, I'm grateful, again, <laughs> that you jogged my memory that this book even existed and then that we had a chance to read it. Clearly, yeah. I have, like, a lot of feelings about it. Pretty <laughs> much all positive. Other than Gingerbread, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Let me get out my um, – I have a list of books that I keep track of. I also work in publishing full-time, and so I have to read a lot for work. And so the moments I get to read for fun, they are mostly – romance novels this Ooh, year at least. Okay. But last night I was reading again The Magic by Lisa Clavis, which is romance, but I will go back to the most recent YA I read. Adults which, like you, whatever you've been loving. Okay. So like a lot of Lisa Clavis, a lot of Tessa Dare. I also read uh, Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson, which I think came out a couple weeks ago. There's a book called The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis that came out. It's so good. And Oh my God, I'm blanking. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> it always does. Because I've been reading a lot of stuff for work that's coming out like in the future. Yeah, you lose um, track of the timelines. Definitely. Last night, I had tweeted that um, there's a huge horse fly in my apartment and I'm like terrified of them. So I locked it in my room and I was like <laughs> sitting by my bookshelf in the living room and I like reread this lullaby by Sarah Dessen, which is probably my favorite YA book ever. So that is like an evergreen uh, recommendation. Well, thank I, I'm you. Gonna later and then be like, I should have said that. But. I know. We all have like no shortage of recommendations, but I'll include the links to all the books that you mentioned in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to Gingerbread. I think it's yeah. a great read, really cozy for the fall season. Definitely. I, of course, will also include a link to your book, Christina, I Want to Be Where You Are, <laughs> which is now out. And listeners, please go yeah. check it out. If you can't tell from the hour that you've now spent with Christina, she's awesome. <laughs> um, and I'm so excited for you and your debut. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, especially like so close to your book coming out. I feel like the first time we rescheduled was because you were like smack in the middle of all of it. So I'm glad we were able to get yeah. that on the schedule. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.